our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Welcome to Girls That Invest. You're joined today by your hosts, Sim and Sonia, two millennial investors who are here to help you learn about all things investing and personal finance. Hello, Sim. Sonia, hello. How have you been? I've been phenomenal. Do you want to clue us in of what we've done this week? Very quickly, we went to speak for the Black Fern Sevens, which is one of New Zealand's national rugby teams. Amazing group of women. I just cannot believe we got to do that. And I cannot believe how short we looked in the photos afterwards because these women are tall and strong and we were tired after walking for seven minutes to the restaurant afterwards. I mean, I personally think that I'm the same height as them, so can't relate. Sonia, like in the kindest way possible, you were the shortest person in that room. Yeah. I wonder if anyone else can relate. Like, do you guys think that you're taller than you actually are? I feel like it's an energy, you know? We have Rebecca with us and we've got a very interesting, very exciting conversation to have. I actually have been looking forward to this all week to sit down and have a chat with her. So not too long ago, we made an Instagram post, which got a lot of traction, a lot of controversy even. And it was about this woman who was not married to her partner, but they shared finances. She was a high income earner, so is he. And she decided to sort of come up with this idea that, well, if she's going to take time off for maternity leave, you know, that's going to affect her career. It's going to impact, you know, her work. And therefore, she would like some form of financial compensation. And due to her job, that number ended up being $50,000. And we had a lot of interesting comments. Most people agreed with her, some people didn't. And then Rebecca, came along and shared that she has had somewhat of a similar experience in terms of financial equality in her relationship. And so many people were like, tell us your story. We want to hear more. So we've done it. We've got Rebecca on the show. Hello, Rebecca. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. Hi, girls. I am beyond excited. We have been really looking forward to this. Just a quick quote from you from the comment just for those that haven't heard so you you basically said I've done something similar with my husband I'm very content we're both high income earners we've got you know a few children three children together 10 years of marriage we share things 50 50 and we're happily married so 
We cannot wait to get started. Before we begin, just a little bit of context. Do you mind just letting us know who you are, what you do, and just a little bit of background? This is um, the background is important, I think, because I need people to know that because finance and womanhood plus culture, right, are the three factors on how we go about in the world, how our money mindset is, the dynamics of our partnerships, right? So I am an Indonesian, so that gives you one context. And I'm a an older millennial, so that's another context. And what I do is I'm a communication strategist, and my husband, who is English, born in the 70s, <laughs> so completely different generation, different culture, and he is an editor. Our work is in the media publishing realm. We used to live in Asia for a very long time, and we moved to England June 2020, right in the eye of the pandemic. Him and I, we've been together for nearly 12 years, married for 10, and uh, we have the ups and downs. I, I want to give you the, the context as well, that we have been wealthy together, and we have been poor together. And we have three children. <laughs> so it's not like... Um, so I have checked my privilege as well. And I would like to tell the listeners all of this because I want to show that it, it really is. When you marry someone, it's in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer. And I've experienced it. So this really didn't come from ignorance. It didn't come from you know privilege where we had... Two lawyers looking up at our prenups and stuff. No, 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 no. We're, we're normal people. We're civilians. <laughs> I think it's so important that you're talking about your different cultural backgrounds and how you grew up and giving us those three different bits of context as well. Starting at the beginning, what was your money mindset like when you were growing up in Indonesia? And how do you think it's changed over time on an individual level? Level, like before you got married? Yeah. So I was born into a middle-class family in Jakarta, which is the capital city. And by that, I mean, it doesn't represent what the entire country economic outlook is like. So both my parents worked and they worked all the way up to become upper middle class, one in banking and one in real estate careers. I recognize early on how my parents became well off. They upgraded their consumption as a family, you know, getting a better car, getting a bigger house. And we had a maid, we had a nanny for my baby brother. Whereas back then when it was just me, we, we only had one maid, you know. So this is, this is how I understood that, okay, with more money, you get more comfort. I think that was my my mindset. To be fair, I also saw that my parents invested in properties. So I saw how my dad worked two jobs, my mom worked the weekends because, you know, in real estate, people look at houses during the weekend, right? So I understood that I'm losing my weekend time with my mother because my mother's working hard for all of this that I have, you know, because I can see immediately the connection between the hard work and the commission they receive. And I have to say this hasn't changed much recently, even though I've been you know, I've experienced the ups and downs. It's interesting how our mindset changes as we grow up. Sort of going back to when you were younger and you were kind of going through, you know, the the initial thoughts you had about money. Did you have any initial thoughts about money and relationships? Yeah, I think because both my parents always worked 
And also my aunts, my grandmothers, both sets of grandparents worked till the day they retired. So in my mind, there's no question of whether or not uh, a woman should work. And there's no question that a woman should stop working once they marry or once they become a mother. And my father actually insisted that I went on to get the highest education as, as, as I wanted And he sent me to the best female-only Catholic uh, high schools. I knew that I didn't have a limit. But secondly, I also see how earning your own money really does give you the power. And that was when I was still a child, quote unquote, because, you know, in the Eastern or slash Asian societies or families, when you're a child, whether or not you're a boy or girl, when you're a child and you don't earn your own money, you have to obey whatever your parents say. And as soon as you get, because the saying is always like, as long as you live under our roof, you do what I tell you, you know, and Those kind of saying made me really wanted to, okay, let's earn money as soon as I can and let's get out of this roof so I can really be the president of the Republic of Rebecca. Against the culture, against Indonesian culture, I did get out of my parents' house when I was 18. And yeah, that was actually very, very liberating. I think it's... Super interesting that you early on equated, you know, your view of money with freedom and that empowered you to, you know, go on this path of independence. When did you start like making your big girl career moves and getting your first job and I guess your big bucks? I went to university. It was a four-year program and it was communications. So I got into journalism and I told myself that there's no way I will just be a student. So I was hustling my way through university. When my fellow classmates were focusing on their grades, really focusing on the studies, and um, this is like pre-Google era, so people were hanging out in library. (laughs) So what I was doing was either I applied to become a, a sales rep for credit card companies, the ones that you see in the mall offering you to help fill out application, you know, to Citibank or to whatever you, personal credit card. So I do that and I try to earn commission. And other than that, I join as many campus uh, senate organization as possible because I knew that uh, compared to more upper upper middle class kids, I didn't have that network that would allow me to get into the work market as soon as I graduate. So the only way I knew is to then get to know the alumni, get to know the lecturers. And I don't want to just be known as Rebecca the person, but I want them to also get a sample of what working with me like. So this is back before Instagram era. This is how you become a fit influencer. For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication, and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. 
Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it, from local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible, with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So, how can Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increased revenue, expanded reach, and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. <laughs> oh, I love that. It sounds like you've been a bit of a hustler, but a lot of hard work, a lot of taking up opportunities that you can. And, and like Sonia mentioned, very independent, which is amazing. Now sort of fast tracking to the point where you've met your husband. When did you start talking about money one and how did you go about it? Like if someone is at home and they want to know what would it be like talking to their partner for the first time about money? How did you do it? Do you have any tips around it? Well, to fill in the gap between me graduating university and to meet my husband, which had probably more than 10 years, I guess, of that gap. So by the time I was 26, I was already an account director in a private uh, PR company. So that privilege came from the hard work, the networking, all the hustling. In my job, I was sent to represent Bali as a destination, as a tourism destination, to a conference. And again, I wouldn't have been sent there if I was not already in that high position. And over there, only people of high position are gathering. It's a conference. And my my husband, who's at the time a stranger to me, he was an editor-in-chief of a travel magazine. So when we met, we met as equal, basically. We met and it's sort of assumed that, okay, I see you, you see me, we see eye to eye. So because we met professional environment, we treated uh, each other almost by default with the utmost respect. It was it was quite obvious. <laughs> the first time we met, we talked for eight hours straight. So it was kind of obvious that we had something. And because he was based in Bangkok and I was based in Bali, the conversation about money came early on. I initiated that. I said, listen, <laughs> this is going to be a very expensive relationship <laughs> because... At the time, um, the technology was not there. At the time, we said to each other, okay, what is this for? It's a long-distance relationship. It's expensive. I don't want to you know, drain my resources for something that is not a proper investment. And he said, no, this is serious. This is, this is a thing. Oh, okay, that's good. So even since the get-go, <laughs> I've laid the foundation of what the definition of our relationship is based on money. I think anyone listening at home would be like, wow, that's really impressive that you could have such a conversation like that so early because I think we get taught, you know, don't bring that up so early. You don't want to seem so eager. You don't want to be too intense. But I love that you've just been straightforward and that it was reciprocated quite well. Do you feel like your advice to people listening at home would be, you know, don't overthink it, just ask? Well, for me, because I'm an overthinker, do think about it. The reason why I was so bold, I won't kid you, it wasn't because I was such a 
fearless female, blah, blah, blah. It was because I did have the the mental pressure of, you know, this biological clock ticking. Even though at the time I was 26, 27, if this is not a serious relationship, move on. You know, I haven't got the time and time is money and money is hard earned. So it's more like in that notion, more than that I feel that I'm so precious. If society is going to pressure me to eventually become a wife, become a mother... Well, society will also have to support me in the way that I should be allowed to voice my concerns, to voice my concerns about money, to voice my concern about what my career is going to be like. Because again, because my relationship was at the time was long distance relationship. And we both knew that each of us were basically department heads of of our respective companies. It's not like I'm going to just be swept away and plucked away from where I was and to just quote-unquote become someone's wife. I didn't want that and I made that known. So yeah, what I would advise is voice your opinion. Don't just keep it to yourself. Talk it out. You won't know, you know, the red flags early on if you don't voice your concerns. When people are in love, they tend not to have conversations about money and finances or maybe the red flags aren't like vibrant red. They're like a light orange. Did you feel like you had to navigate through any like emotional conversations when you were talking about money with your husband before you were married or like throughout your marriage? Because we met at a mature age, both psychologically and career-wise, I exclusively talked about the important stuff only, really. (laughs) It's almost sound like our dating life was a bit boring, but yeah, because we mostly talk about the make or break topics from the get-go. Again, nobody's getting any younger. And because time is money, you know, we may as well lay our cards on the table. Why do we play this, you know, cat and mouse game? Is that what (laughs) people do? And yeah, and that includes money management, prenuptial agreement. Because we are from different nationalities, we even talk about which country or city that we would live in. And where do we see ourselves in the in the family quote unquote business? Do we want children or not? We hashed it out since since the get go, and we had a prenuptial agreement at the beginning. The trigger was because we were well, still we are still different nationalities, and each state has their own laws. In our prenuptial agreement, we set out the things that would govern whatever that would happen to us if uh, if we divorce, including if one of us dies, including if we both die at the same time, leaving children behind. So this whole thing, because our children were going to be by nationality. So I think because we were kind of forced to have to think about our finances uh, because of the law of the lands. It made us become responsible people, responsible citizens to sit down with a lawyer and talk things through. The conversations that you and your husband were having off the bat, they're your solid foundations of building a life together, right? And so I think it's super important and thank you. I'm 
going to sound like a broken record. We both are. Thank you so much for your transparency and your, like, your honesty. It's something that we definitely need to talk about more. If you could let us in on what you consider your biggest learning relating to finance plus being in a relationship would be and yeah, if you had any regrets at all. Oh, absolutely. Right off the bat, my biggest financial regret would be having a massive expensive wedding (laughs) and I call it a regret because it's more like a buyer's remorse uh, situation it's a poor purchasing decision that it was led by by emotion and ego the wedding itself it was granted beautiful I don't think I've ever been in in a wedding myself that would top my wedding it was on a top of a cliff in Bali so it's hard to argue that it wasn't worth every penny but if you were to see our cash flow at the time, you would think that we were idiots and I would agree we were idiots to, to be spending that much. I would forever give blessing to my children if my children is going to get married and they will only want a humble ceremony. I will absolutely agree. I feel like the beauty of personal finance is that it is personal and you get to balance with what is important to you and putting your money towards things that you know at the time you were like this is something I want to do and this is something that is valuable to me I, I want to you know take on the ability to finance my own wedding and therefore have a greater say because it is such a huge thing you know I wouldn't say it's a a bad thing to have chosen to spend money on your wedding. And like you said, I'm sure you've got beautiful photos, beautiful memories. That's always going to be there. <laughs> if you had to leave our listeners with one piece of advice when it came to being in a relationship, if it was, you know, two sentences or less, what would you give them? In general, there's no system, one system that is better than the other. The correct system of sharing equity and equality in your relationship is the one that gives you both, and underline the word both, the freedom, the power, the sense of security and appreciation. If they tick all the boxes, then it's white flag, blue flag, diamond flag all around, my girlfriend. I love that because I think it's really easy to judge what other people are doing with, you know, their relationships and their money. But if that's what works for them and both individuals in that relationship, it's kind of like it's none of your business, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But again, the definition of happy is different for every, uh, every person. But that's why I didn't mention happy, but the one definition that is pretty much we can agree on is freedom, power, security, and appreciation. It's non-negotiable. So take all of that, then you get the happiness that that everybody aspire to be, you know? Yeah, I think that's a really good little nugget to take away. Thank you again so much for your time, Rebecca. We really appreciate it. And we're just so buzzed and so excited to share this with everyone. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you both do. When I came across Girl That Invest, I was like, where have you been all my life? 
So thank you. Oh, you're too kind. So I feel like that was a really good place to wrap it up. This episode, I think we've learned so much from. We're going to put a little Facebook group post up about money and relationships. And if you've got any thoughts about this episode or money and relationships in general, jump onto there, join our Instagram, join our Facebook group, Girls That Invest. And we love, love, love to see where you are listening in. So if you enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot, put on your story, show us where you're listening from, and we will share it on our story. Thank you so much to everyone that has already done so. And now the disclaimer. Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence. Alrighty, till next time, team. Bye.